This is what you say in English. Every week, you will listen to Frank's professional advice on speaking for exam preparation or for your personal development. You will get valuable advice on how to use grammar, vocabulary, discourse, and pronunciation. This is Season 2, Episode 37. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What You Say in English, the podcast in which I listen to you and give you my professional feedback. Today, I'm going to get a little bit more technical. When it comes to learning English, there are a lot of different aspects, and I know that I've been emphasizing the use of speaking skills. I've talked about, for example, the grammar of speaking, the discourse, the vocabulary, pronunciation, and all the different elements that make your speaking skills in English. And of course, I've never aimed my advice at a very specific level of English. I've always tried to push a little bit those who have a lower level of English to become more proficient in terms of using language. For example, using the grammar, using the vocabulary. But today I, I want to like really dispel a lot of ideas that people tend to have about the grammar of English. At least I'm going to be covering today two things, and it's the tense and aspect of English, because it doesn't work exactly as other languages that at least I know a little bit. Of course, I know Spanish, but I've also learned about French. I've also learned about Russian, and I know that the tense system is quite complex in both of those languages and not as much as in English. You may have noticed, for example, that in English, we tend to recycle a lot of the structures, even to talk about the different tenses or the different types, because in English, we, when we talk about tenses, we can talk about the construction of a sentence, but we also have the time. Remember that when we, we can talk, we can use the present, for example, present simple, and we can be talking about the past. So this is the difference that we have in English, that a verb can have a tense, but doesn't necessarily refer to the same time in English. So stay with me. And today I'm going to take you on a guided tour of the tense and aspect system of English. Over the years, the important distinction between tense and aspect has become somewhat blurred, I would say. English has been said to, to have 12 tenses. And this is the common, you know, division that many textbooks, course books that deal with the grammar of English, you know, divide the, the way in which we can refer to the different actions happening at different times. But the reality is that we don't have 12 tenses in English. Technically speaking, English only has two tenses. And when we talk about tense, the definition of a tense is when the verb can be in a different form, whether to express a time or to express an action happening at a different time. That said, for example, when we talk about a verb, let's say the verb live. Live is a regular verb. So when we use it in the present, we have two conjugations. We have the conjugation for the 
pronouns, for example, I, you, we say I live, you live, we live, they live. But when it comes to he and she, of course, we add the S. We say he lives and she lives. So in present, we do have a tense. We do have a form. The verb has a form, except, of course, the verb to be in which, for example, we, we have I am, you are, he is, she is, we are, they are, you know, all, all the conjugations of the verb be. But in the case of live, you know, the example that I've been using, in the present, we only have two con conjugations. And then we can use it in the past. We can say, I lived, you lived, she lived, you know, the live in the past. So technically speaking, the verb can only have two forms, the form in the present tense and the form in the past tense. The other ways in which we can talk about the different actions happening at different times, we can call them verb forms. So technically speaking, English only has 12 verb forms, but only two tenses. But of course, for technical reasons, textbooks don't usually use this nomenclature of dividing tenses like this. Of course, we don't tell students English only has two tenses because it's, it's kind of contradictory. And in a way, it's not very productive. It's a little counterproductive when it comes to teaching verb forms in English. So basically in English, we have a tense system and an aspect system. The idea of aspect is how an action is developed through time. And of course, when we talk about an action beginning at a moment in the past and then continuing to the present, we can talk about, for example, a perfect tense, or we can talk about a progressive tense. By the way, technically speaking, when it comes to grammar knowledge, we call it progressive. I know that in Europe, for example, in many textbooks, it's called continuous. And that's okay. It's fine. You can call it continuous, but grammarians in general like to call it progressive. Okay. So that said, we have simple tenses in the case of the present and the past I've already mentioned, and we, we can also refer to a future simple. Now this is a little complicated because the future in English is dealt with in many different ways. We can use, for example, the auxiliary will. But the problem with will is that it doesn't only refer to the future and it's not 100% translatable as in, for example, let's say French or Spanish or any other language that has a, like an auxiliary verb or the verb has a conjugation that, you know, refers to the future. I think Italian as well. So many uh, Romance languages, you know, all the languages coming from Latin will have a future form, but in English we don't. So we need the help of will in this case, and we, you know, prefer to call it future simple, but it's not really a future simple. And remember that we can also refer to the future in many multiple ways. We can also use the same present simple. We can also use the continuous form, the progressive form, like present continuous to talk about the future. We can use a lot of different structures and different clauses and sentences can also refer to the future this sense. So we have four aspects. We have the simple, sometimes uh, usually called the zero aspect. We have the perfect, the progressive, and their combination, perfect progressive. And we can look at them like this. For example, let's take the example of the verb write. So in the present, let's talk about the simple tenses. So we have present simple, 
and the, the conjugations are write, writes. In the past, we have wrote, and in the future, we have will write. So that's a simple aspect. Then we have the perfect aspect. The perfect aspect is have or has written in the present. In the past is had written, and in the future is will have written. Then we have the progressive, which is the combination of the verb be plus the ing form of the verb, which is the present participle of the verb. Okay, we call it, we, you can call it a gerund, you can call it the ing form, but it's actually the present participle. Okay, so we have the present progressive, which is I am writing, he is writing, or they are writing, for example. We have the past, which is was or were writing, and we have the future, which is will be writing. And then we have the last column, which is the perfect progressive, the combination of the perfect and the progressive or continuous. And then we have in the present, we have has or have been writing. In the past, we have had been writing. And in the future, will have been writing. The last combination, it's very uncommon. And as you go along in, in the complication of the different tenses and all, you know, joining the progressive and the perfect aspect, the tenses become less and less common. And we use them in very specific, very special circumstances. So if you think about it as a conclusion, you might say that all the different tenses that we have in English are just a combination of this tense and aspect system, whether it's a simple tense or whether it is a continuous or progressive aspect and a perfect aspect. If we think about all the system as a roadmap of the territory of that tense aspect system of English and, and all that it covers, we can make some further observations that have a pedagogical import. Uh, for example, if we think about, for example, on the left, let's, let's think about it as a coordinate of, you know, north, south, east, and west. And let's imagine that the simple aspect is on the left. The traffic in this map is focused more on the northeast, thinking that it's a simple aspect. The frequency with which these tense aspect combinations are used is greater than in other regions of this map. And, and such observations can help teachers and students decide where to put the limited time that you may have to best advantage. For example, in the southeast, if we go in this coordinate, if you go down to the east, it means that you have the perfect continuous forms, the perfect progressive forms, and you will notice that it receives little traffic, meaning that it's very and highly infrequent, and consequently should probably not receive as much attention as those combinations in the northeast, like the ones you have on the left. Another point worth making is in viewing the meaning territory, the semantic territory covered by these tense aspect system as a map is that the borders between the various regions of the map, which proved to be most problematic, where, for example, does the semantic domain of the past tense end and the present perfect begin? If you were to draw, for example, circles on a map to connect those areas with problematic boundaries, you would find that there are very few that prove particularly challenging for a lot of students. I know that 
all of this explanation sounds very complicated. And at some point, you know, trying to understand the logic of it may prove kind of uh, difficult to, to grasp. And as, as you advance in the study of grammar and how we construct these things in English, you will notice, for example, that most of the times you are just recycling structures to create more complex structures. And whatever you can use in one specific period of time, let's say the present, you can actually use it the same way in the past, or you can use it in the same way in the future, but just making just few adjustments. And this is the kind of simplicity that you can find in English grammar. In relation to the meaning of the English tense aspect system, this is an exceedingly important dimension in helping students manage the tense aspect system in itself. If students are able to develop and feel for the meanings conveyed by components of the system, they will have a tremendous advantage in learning to cope with the boundary problems that I mentioned in the previous segment. So now I'm going to try to capture the semantic core, you know, the semantic, the meaning, the internal meaning of the components of the system. The three tenses with simple aspect and the two other aspect markers used independently and together in tandem. As I said before, understanding the meaning or the semantics of the tenses in terms of time is completely inadequate. For example, if we label the ED marker as a past tense marker, that denotes pastime, then we will have a hard time explaining its presence in sentences like this one, for example. And this is a conditional clause. If I walked home after school today, it would take me all afternoon. The other example is a reported speech segment. They said that they loved grammar. And this is another example uh, of a host talking to a guest. Did you want something to eat before the game? It's a question. So basically a request. Or, for example, between a sales clerk and a customer. What sort of prize did you have in mind? Let me repeat the examples. The first one is the conditional. If I walked home after school today, it would take me all afternoon. And, and the ED is in the beginning. The second one is a reported speech sentence. They said that they loved grammar. The third one is between a host and a guest asking, did you want something to eat before the game? And the last one is a sales clerk to a customer. What sort of prize did you have in mind? So the four examples have a, a past tense marker, whether it is an ED ending or the auxiliary did to make a question. In the first sentence, the action is hypothetical and it hasn't taken place. Remember that this is a second conditional sentence. So we talk about hypothetical situations. So obviously the ED is not signifying pastime. We don't use it to express pastime. We use it to express an imaginary time. In the second sentence, uh, this is an example of a reported or indirect speech. The verb in the embedded clause is in the past tense, but the expression of their affection for grammar could well still apply, meaning that it may not be over and done with. So if I say that they loved grammar, they the meaning might probably be that they still love grammar. So it, it doesn't only affect, um, you know, a, a time in a, uh, indirectly, it can also refer to something that's still true. In the third example, the irregular form of the past tense of the verb do 
is used in a present offer. So you're offering something. Did you want something to eat before the game? It's an offer in the present. In the last one, the conversation between the sales clerk and the customer, it is used in a question pertaining to the present. I can cite many other examples. The point is that in order to understand the meaning of the tenses, you must go to a deeper level of abstraction than that of a temporal meaning. And by doing so, you will see that the core meaning underlies the use of the past tense in the preceding example sentences and in all other sentences in which it occurs. The core, the central meaning of a particular form is the meaning that is most central, primary, or invariant. And I'm going to start analyzing the core, the central meanings of the tenses with a simple aspect. The simple aspect refers to events that are conceptualized as complete wholes. The events are not presented as allowing for further development. They're done. They're finished. This aspect stands in contrast to progressive aspect or continuous, if you want to call it like that, which is incomplete or imperfective, where the event or state is viewed as some portion of a whole and where there is room for further development or change. We can see this difference by comparing examples with the simple present tense and the present continuous, the present progressive. For example, Susan and Carl live in Newark, or Susan and Carl are living in Newark. The first example is the simple present in, you know, in the first sentence, and it presents the fact that Susan and Carl live in Newark as a whole event, not allowing for further development, and with no suggestion of change. On the contrary, the present progressive in the second sentence suggests that their living in Newark may be temporary, thus allowing for the possibility of change. In the second sentence, Susan and Carl's living in Newark is some portion of the whole, in the sense that we understand that they may have lived elsewhere before moving to Newark and will likely in the future move again. With this explanation of the internal or core meaning of the simple aspect as a backdrop, let's us consider what core meaning each of the tenses adds. So to start with, the present tense always conveys immediate factuality. For example, I skim the New York Times at breakfast, or the earth rotates around the sun, or my mother loves daisies, or it is a beautiful day. Now I'm going to show you how the core meanings of the simple present, its complete or unchanging nature, and its immediate factuality apply. So the first use that we give, that we assign to the simple present tense, is the habitual actions in the present, the most simple structure of all. You can say he walks to school every day. So we here we present a habit. He walks to school every day. Of course, you have to use a, an adverb of frequency to emphasize that it's a habit. We can also use it to talk about general timeless truths, such as physical laws or customs, you know, traditions, like water freezes at zero degrees centigrade, you know, when we talk about sea level. I know that at different altitudes this may change, but um, we usually say that water freezes at zero degrees centigrade. So freezes. Or as a tradition, you can say that Spanish people eat dinner late, which is, you know, a kind of common trait among 
Spanish uh, people. Uh, with the verb be and other stative verbs to indicate states, uh, and this is uh, why we prefer to use stative verbs, the ones that express emotions or states in general, we prefer to use them in the simple form, not in the progressive form. So, for example, we can say, there's a large house on the corner. This is the verb to be, there is. Another example would be, I know Mr. Johnson. So, the verb know, I know Mr. Johnson, meaning, you know, we use it in the present. Or, another example would be, the car belongs to Bill. So, the verb belonging, you know, the car belongs to Bill. It's a state. It's a, it's a situation that it's not likely to change. Or even the, we can use it uh, to describe the inception of states. When I say inception, we um, talk about how states start to develop. When we give the example, now I understand. You will find a lot of people saying, now I'm understanding. Or when you say, I think you're not understanding. And we, uh, in that sense, for example, you're using it in the continuous or progressive form, but the real meaning is simple. So what the person really means is now you are beginning to understand. So I know that the, in, in common in speech, for example, you will, you will hear a lot of people saying, I think you're not understanding, talking about that, that beginning of a state. But in reality, the, the real action, the real sentence would be now you are beginning to understand or now you understand. Okay. We can also use the simple tense in the subordinate clauses of time or condition when the main clause contains a future time verb. For example, after he finishes work, he will do the errands. After he finishes, here we use the present uh, simple because the following uh, clause is in the future. Another example would be, if Cindy passes her bar exam, she'll be able to practice law. By the way, the bar exam is the state exam that people take to become lawyers, for example. So if Cindy passes the bar exam, we use present simple because the following part, the following cl uh, clause, it's in the future. She will be able to practice law. Okay, so we use the present simple in these tenses. It's a subordinate clause. We can also use the present simple to express future. When we talk about scheduled events, um, when we talk about timetabled events that usually take place in the future, and we have to use a future time adverbial to indicate that the sentence is in the future. By itself, the present simple cannot mark a future statement if we're not using the, the corresponding future time adverbial. For example, I have a meeting next weekend at this time. So I have a meeting next weekend. We don't usually say I will have a meeting next week, next weekend. We say I have in the present uh, tense, with the present tense, but to signal a future time. And we say next weekend at this time. We can also use the present simple to talk about a present event or action, usually in sporting events or demonstrations or procedures of some sort. For example, when they, when you hear on television saying that this play here, here, he comes the pitch Vaughn swings and misses. So we use present simple to signal a present event or action that is taking place at that moment. So we don't use in this case, the progressive form. We use the present simple. Another example would be now I add three X to the mixture. When in reality, you're adding the three X to the mixture, you're, you're explaining 
how to do something. Let's say you're in a cooking show and you're, you're explaining how you're introducing, you say, no, I add three eggs to the mixture. Now, this is a particular uh, use of the present simple because we're talking about steps in a process. So you can say, now I'm adding three eggs to the mixture because that would be the, the idea you're, you're doing that at that moment. But when we talk about that sequence of events, for example, if you're explaining the process of making something, you would use present simple. We can also use it to talk about present speech acts where the action is accomplished in the speaking of it. For example, I resigned from the commission. In this case, you're talking about an act, a speech act, and the, the action is completed. And finally, we can actually use the present simple to talk about the past, believe it or not. And we call it the historical present. And it's used to refer to certain past events in narration. We use it a lot, for example, in jokes or when talking about anecdotes. If you refer to a, a past occurrence or something you did in the past and you're telling another person and to make the narrative more lively, you can use the present simple. So you can say, imagine that you're telling a friend about something that happened to you and you say, so he stands up in the boat and waves his arms to catch our attention. We say, so he stands up in the boat and waves his arms and those actions already happened. But the things that you're using the present to signal a time in the past and we call it historical present. We can also use it, for example, when talking about biographical information, when you talk about a, a personnel, a person, a person from the past and you say, for example, in that year, he goes to study at this university and graduates and those things already happened in the past, but we use the simple present to signal that time in the past. So it can be seen then how each event being reported on the simple present is complete. We can infer that there will be no change. Further, each use is in an immediate factual report. In the next segment, I'm going to talk about the simple past tense. The simple past also states facts. What that core meaning of the past tense adds is a sense of remoteness. The event can be remote in time. For example, the Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series in 1992. And even if the event is a recent one, for example, I finished my term paper, the remoteness or the distance in the past comes in the feeling that the event is over and done with. As I explained before, the feeling of remoteness can apply even to notions other than time. For example, if I walked home from school, it would take all afternoon. Remember that this is a second conditional statement. Here, the remoteness is due to that conditional, hypothetical nature of the statement. In fact, this is an imaginary conditional and remote from reality. So the sense of remoteness comes from how far it is from an event really happening. In the example that I gave in the beginning of this episode, the one in reported speech, we say, they said that they loved grammar. The remoteness comes from the fact that this is a report of what some other people originally said. It is indirect, not their actual expression or affection. And in the host's offer, if you remember the question, did you want something to eat before the game? The use of the past tense form of the do verb makes the offer more indirect than it would be if the present tense form do were used. Here, indirectness 
can be a sign of politeness. You want to be more courteous or polite. This same interpretation explains why the clerk, in the example that I told you in the beginning, used the past tense in his question to the customer about the price she had in mind. Another example of indirectness as social distance conveyed by the past tense occurs in the following preliminary to a request, for example. You say, I am calling because I wanted to ask you a favor. Because I wanted to ask you a favor. Now, let's examine the uses of the past tense to see how these notions of completeness and remoteness apply. The first use that I can tell you about is that the past simple signals a definite single completed event or action in the past. For example, I attended a meeting of that committed last week. So we say I attended. Another use is the habitual or repeated action in the past. You can say it snowed almost every weekend last winter. It snowed almost every weekend. Another use is an event with duration that applied in the past with the implication that it no longer applies in the present. So it stays completely in the past. For example, Professor Nelson taught at Yale for 30 years. It means that the event is in the past and it has no implication in the present. It has no connection in the present. We can also, just like the present simple, talk about states, but in the past. For example, he appeared to be a creative genius. So the verb here appeared. He appeared to be. Or another example would be, he owed me a lot of money. So the verb owed, O-W-E-D, he owed me a lot of money. So these are states in the past. Another use is exactly the one that I've been explaining so far. I just gave you two instances of that example. Is the imaginative conditional in the subordinate clause. Referring to the present time, of course. What I mean is the second conditional. When we say, for example, if he took better care of himself, he wouldn't be absent so often. So we say, if he took better care for himself. Here, the remoteness is expressed as a distant situation from reality, but it's a present reality. We say, if he took better care of himself, that verb took is referring to the present. It means that in the present, he does not take care of himself. And finally, we can use it in social distancing as a marker of politeness. For example, in the request, did you want to sit down and stay for a while? So in this case, for example, we don't make the question, do you? Do you want to sit down and stay for a while? Although we can use it, I mean, we can perfectly use the present simple, but if you want to express a social distance, meaning some sort of respect between you and the other person, you use the past simple, did you want, meaning, I mean, of course you're talking about the present, you're talking about now, do you want to sit down? But that did you want to sit down, establishes a distance between you and the other person, and it's a sign of politeness. So, as we can see, the simple past is used when the speaker conceptualizes a complete event factually, but as remote in some way. The last point I'm going to be talking about today is the future simple with will, and I will be very specific with the will. And I also said it's the last point that I'm going to cover today because this tense aspect system in English has a lot of meat, a lot of areas to be talked about, to be explained. And in the remaining episodes of this season, 
I will finish with the other aspects of the tense aspect system in English. So until now, we have already made the point several times that there are many ways to talk about the future in English. And I'm going to be talking about the alternatives later now in this moment. But for now, the picture we have been painting for simple aspect holds for the simple future as well. In other words, simple future is used when the event is conceptualized as a whole, as a complete event. One difference in its core or internal meaning is that events in the future time cannot be factually knowable. We cannot know whether they will happen or not in the same way as those in the past or present. You know, we know we can have complete knowledge about the present and we can have complete knowledge about the past, but when it comes to the future, we don't know exactly if or whether the actions will take place. Therefore, because strictly speaking, the future cannot be reported on factually, will, the modal wheel, is said to be used for strong predictions, not factual reports. So pay attention to these examples. We will cover the first half of the book this term. In this case, for example, we say we will cover the first half of the book this term. So we use will to signal to indicate that the sentence is in the future. This second example is a little more technical. For example, in a biology book, you might read something like, we will never know what cures tropical plants possess if we don't become serious about preserving the forests in which they grow. I know it's a long sentence, but you can hear that in the beginning we use we will never know, and it's a first conditional sentence. We will never know what cures tropical plants possess if we don't become. So this is the counterpart of what I spoke about in the beginning when I talked about the present tense. Will, of course, has other meanings, but these can be discussed further in other episodes. I promise that I will talk about the different uses of the modal will, especially when we, we use it as a modal verb. But for now, let's see its core meaning, its central meaning, and the, you know, how we use it to express strong predictability and how it applies. So the first example is this, as an action to take place at some definite future time. For example, Joe will take the bar exam next month. You know, the bar exam, if you remember, it's the exam to become a lawyer. So Joel will take the bar exam. So in this case, it's an action to take place at some definite future time. Another use of the will, another core meaning, is a future habitual action or state, just the same way I explained before in the present and the past. For example, after October, Judah will take the 7.30 train to Chicago every day. So in this case, for example, we talk about a habit that will take place in the, in the future. It can also be a state. So, and even for present habits, about which strong predictions can be made, we can listen. Listen to this example. Eric is so funny. He will wake up and before coming downstairs, he will make you laugh with one of his jokes. So in this case, we're using will. He will wake up. He will start, meaning that it's a present habit, but as a way of making predictions, like I know it's a habit that he has and every time this will happen. So it's a very strong prediction, but at the same time, based on a habit. Another central meaning or use 
for will as a future marker is a situation that may obtain in the present and will obtain in the future, but with some future termination in sight. And notice here, it is not the will that suggests the limitation on the event, but the subordinate clause. For example, Nora will live in Madrid until she improves her Spanish. So in this case, we're talking about present situation that will finish at a certain determinate time in the future. So until she improves her Spanish is that termination point. So Nora will live in Madrid. And finally, we can talk about that in the main clause, like the result of a future conditional. As I said before, if you go, you'll be sorry. So if you go, present simple, you will be sorry. So this is the result of the future conditional. In this case, we're talking about the first conditional. So here again, we should be able to see that the simple tense allows us to talk about events as complete events. And before I continue next week, let's summarize. Simple aspect allows us to talk about events as not open to development or change and to make factual statements or strong predictions about them. And this is true despite the tense and is true for both specific facts and general ones. For example, as a specific fact, I can give you this example, Joe misses Susie. And as a general statement, I can tell you leap year comes every four years. It's a general statement about leap years. By the way, leap years is, you know, the years when, when we add an extra day to February in every four years. Another example of specific nature is you slept till noon, past simple. And as a general statement, we can say dinosaurs roamed the earth for millions of years. So we make a general statement about the past. And for the future, a specific example would be, I'll be home before 6 p.m. And as a general statement is, oil will float on water. Because it's something that will always happen, and it's a strong prediction based on a fact. In the following episodes, I will be talking about the remaining aspects of these aspect tense system in English. Well, we'll talk about the perfect aspect, the progressive aspect, and the combination of these two, which is the perfect progressive aspect. So stay tuned for more information about this. And I think this is, this will boost your knowledge of the tense aspect system in English and how we understand and we see in basic terms what the system is for the core grammatical use and meaning of these tenses in English. Another thing is that next week I will post the address where you can sign up and request more information about the course, the, the two courses that I am organizing for August, for the month of August. Another thing is that I will be finishing my season, this season, second season, in June. I will make a stop in July and August to concentrate more on the courses that I will developing that I will be giving in, in August. So I will contact the people. Remember that you can always send me an email at podcast at languageteaching.es and I will be more than happy to give you more information. But next week I will make available the, the request list so you can save your spot in the following courses for the month of August. So remember that during the months of July and August, you will not have any more episodes. This will be the end of season two and we'll return to season three in September. So remember that if you have any request of information or if you 
if you're preparing for the for an exam and you want to have a little more guidance, you can contact me at podcast at languageteaching.es. Whether you want to have feedback on your writing skills, whether you want to have feedback on your speaking skills, or if you want to do a mock speaking, and for that, you remember, you need to find a partner. So it, we do it as a three-way discussion, you know, me as an examiner and you as test takers. So you have to find a partner if you want to have a mock exam, whether for B2, C1, or C2 exam. Okay. And also remember that I'm collaborating with Ben Gill and his TTP Academy. I give workshops every week. And you can see me, you can interact with me directly as the rest of the people. And also you will interact with Ben. Ben is an incredible teacher, you know, that he's got his YouTube channel and he's quite successful. And I'm also, I'm just adding just a little extra for his academy. So remember, keep in touch. I know that I will say goodbye just for the time being in by the end of June, but I will come back in September with a lot more from what you say in English. So until next week, bye-bye. <music>